Welcome to the third episode of Wyoming Law Pod. First, we'll begin with a word from our sponsor, Garrison Settlements. Hello, I'm Ryan Garrison, president of Garrison Financial and Garrison Settlements. Together, my team and I travel the country serving trial lawyers, injury victims, and wealth management clients with comprehensive and unique financial solutions. We advise trial lawyers on a range of topics, from qualified 401k plans and employee benefits to tax-deferred attorney fee annuities and mass torts. We support injury victims with solutions like trusts, asset management, and structured settlements, plus government benefits planning to help preserve Medicaid, Medicare, SSI, and other benefits. We help wealth management clients from their first investment to securing their financial legacy. We provide access to a financial website, electronic vault, and more. If you're a trial lawyer or an injury victim, call us now. We're here to help you. Welcome to the third episode of Wyoming Law Pod. I'm your host, Justin Kalal. I'm pleased to be bringing you this episode for free thanks to the sponsorship of Garrison Settlements. I'm very happy to have my friend Grant Lawson here today as my guest to talk to you about video depositions. Grant is a Wyoming native and a partner at the Mature Law Firm. His practice is 100% devoted to representing injured individuals. He practices out of Casper, Wyoming, and Grant has taken numerous cases to verdict and obtained several multi-million dollar verdicts from Wyoming juries. He's a graduate and frequent teacher at Jerry Spence's Trial Air College. Grant is also an avid hunter and fisherman. Once in a while, we're lucky enough to find ourselves floating down a river, catching big fish on little dry flies. But that's what we tell people. Grant lives with his wife, Julie, and son in Casper, Wyoming, and they are expecting their second child in December. Grant, thanks for being here today. I know it's been a crazy summer for you, with travel for work and family adventures, and I just really appreciate you taking the time to come here today and talk to us about video depots. Well, thank you, Justin. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you, uh, and just great, great uh, time of year to be alive here in Wyoming, and, and uh, just so fortunate that you and I are going to try and sneak out and do some fishing. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the things, especially in Wyoming, is lawyers dramatically underappreciate the effectiveness of a video deposition or think it's kind of just a, a big city thing that people just do for no reason what do you think kind of contributes to that perception uh, i think it's that uh, maybe it takes more time and energy and of course money uh, to get video depositions set up and that uh, there's maybe a misperception that well if you're going to have a video deposition done maybe it's going to require more work and energy than um, is really necessary or needed, or maybe it's just not worth the money uh, that it takes to, to hire a videographer or, you know, buy the services, the programs and software uh, to edit it and uh, tackle it yourself. And so I think those kind of misperceptions have, um, have been, unfortunately, um, you know, uh, set, forward, uh, set forth by um, an older generation of lawyers. I think the newer generation of lawyers has really uh, picked up on the effectiveness, the efficacy, and the, um, the absolute uh, gift that video depositions can provide uh, in your case for your client and for achieving justice. So I remember back in the day when we were both in Jackson and you were a young associate with the Jerry Spence's firm. It seemed like every week they were shipping you off around the country to take a deposition somewhere. Um, when did you first kind of experience the effectiveness and the difference of putting a deposition on video versus just having it transcribed? Uh, early in my career, I was thrown into uh, the fire, so to speak, of uh, civil rights work, um, big oil field and industrial accidents and some trucking litigation. And um, I can think of an instance early on in a civil rights case where uh, involving a, a shooting of an unarmed command uh, and the case was against a police department for, um, for unlawfully shooting this young man. And we decided to videotape the defendants. And I learned from those depositions and those videotape uh, depositions that not only did the true character of the defendants, the, the witnesses, uh, come off on video, which you could have never, never obtained through just reading a transcript, uh, but also the use of reconstruction uh, in the testimony and description of what happened 
with actual body movements that was caught on camera, uh, which would have never ever played out on reading it in a transcript. That to me is the, the first taste I had of the effectiveness, the, the true um, helpfulness of having a videotape deposition. Um, that case uh, eventually settled, uh, but um, I think that the testimony and the videotape testimony that we received from the defendants um, was very, very damning and provided um, a better result for our client than had we not videotaped those depositions. And so when you're talking about body movements and things that show up on film, can you explain to us what those are that you're getting out of the video deposition that you don't get with the transcript? Absolutely. Uh, in videotape deposition, it's hard for anyone to um, argue with what they do, what they say, how they act on live video. Um, a lot of times when we're reading a transcript, uh, there's always the opportunity for somebody to say, well, that's not how I meant it, or that's not what it looked like. When you take a video deposition of somebody, uh, that's locked in. How they, how they look in their facial characteristics, how they look with their body and their movement, uh, those things are set in stone. And uh, the you know, interpretation, so to speak, of a transcript doesn't come into play. That's out the window. And it, um, it really makes our jobs as attorneys easier when we have that and we have that locked in versus getting to trial and then having some little game playing, which occurs with, well, that's not how I meant that in my testimony or in my transcript, or that's not how I, um, that's not what I meant or what I said or whatever the excuse is that, um, that comes up a lot of times. I would think in the video deposition, we've all had the experience where you can tell that a witness is honestly searching their memory and then you've also had the experience where you can see that a witness is clearly searching to fabricate something. Is that something that comes through on the video depot? Absolutely. And one of the most incredible experiences um, that I had early on in my career was an oil field uh, related accident uh, where a young man was uh, tragically killed. And uh, in taking the, de the deposition of uh, one of the defendant's employees, who was on the site and um, was part of setting up the equipment, we actually did have, I had that witness do a reconstruction of uh, what actually happened that day of putting the equipment together and um, instructing those on the well site, uh, how to use the equipment, what to do. And um, that gentleman was so in the moment, was so there, he was there back on that day, in the moment, uh, present tense, first person, and he, it didn't give him the opportunity to fabricate and the truth came out. And, um, when he did catch himself later on during the deposition about a key, the most key important, um, safety step that was missed that he didn't provide to the rest of the, the, uh, crew and the, everybody out there on the job site, it was, absolutely it was what you call a a matlock moment uh, or a uh whatever that old tv uh, show was you know what i'm talking about it was matlock but, yeah matlock a matlock moment um it was amazing and um that completely changed the course of that case from there forward uh, and no matter what he tried to do to go back and correct what he just testified we had it on video it was right there. It was in. Uh, we were live. Everybody that that was there and everybody that watched that video relived that moment, and he didn't give that safety instruction. And so that that was the case, and it was incredibly powerful. And so, um, so the attempt or the ability to to fabricate, um, it can still be there, but it's going to be a heck of a lot harder if um, if a person doesn't come off honestly um, and earnestly and, and doesn't, um, doesn't have the ability to really pull the wool over, so to speak. Well, and I think one thing that's probably the most frustrating for lawyers on both sides of the 
defense, whether they're plaintiffs or defense bar or any kind of civil litigation is, I think most of us or the mass majority are really seeking the truth. Um, but there are definitely some lawyers and probably doing it because they believe it's the best interest of their client. But, you know, you see these speaking objections are clearly objections timed right at that Matlock moment, you know, to completely coach the witness. Do you find that the video deposition helps shut that down or at least expose it for the fraud that it is? Uh, I do. Um, in my experience, uh, the times that I regret not videoing um, are usually because of that uh, abusive conduct. Um, I uh, can think of uh, numerous examples, but most blatantly of a medical malpractice case I was involved in where uh, the speaking objections by defense counsel were so blatant and so uh, over the top that even in the transcript, it was bad. But had that been on video, I would have provided the video to the court. And I think that would have um, increased the sanctions or added to the sanctions that the court um, uh, awarded or provided as a result of that abusive conduct. And so um, I, I absolutely have seen uh, counsel who will be uh, more at liberty to act in abusive manners without video. And when it is being videoed, um, they're unfortunately, uh, or fortunately for us, and maybe unfortunately for them, but they're gonna have to be on their best behavior and they have done that. And in my experience, it, it seems like it's almost impossible for the deponent to hide that they are about to change their answer when you get one of those objections from opposing counsel. Well, yeah, I think it absolutely shows up in their, their face, their, their characteristics, how they respond, the tone of their voice, uh, their inflection. Um, those, those things that can never be picked up on a transcript. And yes, uh, as attorneys, we can flash back to that and remember, oh yeah, I remember your deposition, uh, how that came off. Well, that may not be the way it comes off in trial. That may, and, and that, how, the, how that was perceived may be lost if you don't have that on video. That's another important reason I think video uh, depositions are crucial to effectively representing your clients and getting um, at least key depositions, um, getting those moments in time locked in so that you can replay them and so the jury can see them. And if there is a question as to whether someone is being honest or uh, maybe being a little bit too liberal with the change in their story, you can use that um, video to show the jury and have them make a decision what is the truth. And that reminds me of one of my favorite moments in a deposition and a, one where I go back and I wish that I could have videoed it, but I had the deponent, I asked a particularly kind of cutting question about some business records and his response was basically the international signal that he really didn't like what I was saying. He flipped me the bird. And so my only thing that I could do was put it on the record, um, you know, that he was basically flipping me off, but it, it didn't have any real effect. You know, that transcript had no value to me later in the case. It was just a funny moment that I remember now, whereas I think if I would have had video, it would have been a great leverage for the case. Um, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit because um, one of the things that you've taught me and really expanded how I think about video depositions because I think I had kind of that, I don't want to call it like a Wyoming bias, but just kind of not being exposed to them enough. I thought it was almost just a way to add cost to the deposition, maybe intimidate the deponent a little bit. But I, I didn't understand the value that using props can have hmm. in a video deposition. And uh, you've taught me that the, the potential is almost limitless there. I mean, how do you, go through the creative process of what props you're going to use and uh, just kind of walk us through that and maybe a little bit about how you learn to use them and, and that. Sure. Um, I think it's, it can be something that you've planned out months in advance, or it could be something uh, as an aha moment the night before the deposition. <laughs> and um, I'll, I'll just share with, uh, with you and listeners uh, an experience I had one time in a, um, a trucking case, a case involving, um, a man that was 
severely injured when um, a, a tractor trailer was backing up and, and backed into him and crushed him against another tractor trailer. And the night before the deposition, um, I thought about how can I really effectively show this accident and get this testimony out and work with these uh, witnesses and the defendants uh, to, to you know, really paint the picture for the jury, what happened here. And so um, it was about nine o'clock at night. I decided to uh, run to a big box store and grab, uh, buy some toys. I went and bought some toy trucks, so it's toy tractor trailers, um, and a few little figurines and some other kind of just, you know, kids' toys, simple kids' toys, probably cost me 15 or 20 bucks total. And I brought those into the deposition with me, um, and it was a video deposition, and I had the defendants and the, these witnesses set up the scene and use these toys and use these, the, you know, these toy tra tractor trailers to show us how their story made sense. And it was obvious that what they were trying to testify to didn't make sense. What made sense was that they, they in order to, to accomplish this turn and how they ended up hitting this other truck and crashing into this man, uh, they, they had to have kept, come from a different angle in a different way. And it really, it just did an incredible job. And that, that was just something on the fly. I really just kind of came up with that the night before and, and it was very um, inexpensive uh, and very effective. Now, of course, on the other side of that, you can plan months in advance and you can spend um, a lot of money on really nice demonstratives, videos, uh, animations, uh, poster boards, those sort of things, or, or other diagrams that will help you in setting up props for deposition testimony. It's just a matter of um, not being afraid to use your own ingenuity, your own, uh, your gut, your, you know, what your gut says, uh, because it can be a $15 toy from Walmart that helps you uh, turn your case into uh, a much greater result for your client by just using uh, out-of-the-box techniques and ideas to get folks on video to talk about what happened and uh, set the scene and give you the, the, the story that they want to tell. So when you're preparing for a video deposition, how much more time do you allot yourself in that preparation for creative thinking about props and things like that when you know it's going to be a video versus just a written deposition? Um, it, of course, it depends on the case, depends on the witness and the events um, and, and how much time you got to prepare for everything else um, that's going to be part of the deposition. But uh, I always at least try to take a little bit of time to think outside the box um, about how to effectively show how to, uh, on video, to really get the story and uh, not just sticking to an outline and um, making sure I ask every question that I have in my outline. There's a creative element to depositions, especially in video depositions. There's a very creative element of spontaneity and, uh, and making sure that you are listening, very, really listening really well and not getting lost in your focus of, well, I've got to get on to my next question and I got to follow my outline. So I would say some, some depositions I spend more time uh, and some it's just kind of part of the, the original process that I had intended. Now in both of the examples that you've used, you've talked about getting the deponent into the moment. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that a video deposition can do, but I think it's one of the most overlooked things by attorneys conducting depositions is actually taking the time to set up the deponent to bring them back to that moment in time. Can you explain to our listeners the process that you go through to get a deponent, quote unquote, in the moment? Yes, um, I like to ask the witness to take a moment, close their eyes, then reflect back to that date. And during that moment of having their eyes closed and thinking back to that date, I ask them to remember certain, uh, certain things such as 
sight, smell, sound, uh, type, you know, what type of day it was, um, things that can kind of bring us back to that moment, uh, and, and affect, you know, and really set that scene of what it was like. Um, how, how were they feeling? Uh, what kind of physical condition were they in, a mental condition were they in at the time? Uh, who was around? Uh, what do we see? Well, uh, those types of the five senses, so to speak, uh, bringing those senses back and really trying to capture that moment in time. And then once I, I feel like someone's there and we're back in that moment, then I think we we start getting into the questions about it. Um, so it's, it's just a creative process. I don't think there's a rule on how to do it. I think that there are uh, steps that you can take, uh, but it's, it is a creative process. And do you feel that video aids them in the process of doing that, keeps them more focused on you and the camera? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know about the camera so much, but I think it keeps witnesses focused on being in the moment and being there, reliving that, and also to listen to what you're asking for or trying to get in terms of questions. I think it takes away from the focus of the video and takes away from the focus of the, the stress and anxiety of this process called the deposition. And it just kind of folk, brings that person back into the world of reliving a moment without being distracted by these other elements. And it seems that the number of uses for a video deposition is one of the biggest reasons to take it. I mean, you're not limited to, you know, doing your trial prep and maybe responding to summary judgment. Can you talk a little bit about the different ways that you've been able to use video depositions? Absolutely. Uh, they have been used and effective in, uh, in demands, uh, settlement. Um, they've been used in focus groups. Um, focus groups are an incredible opportunity to test out your case and using video depositions uh, boy reading a transcript to a focus group it just is boring as you can get for those folks right but you put a video of this person on there they get to actually you get to test in a lab what these witnesses are coming off like what they look like what they sound like how they're being perceived whether their testimony is credible those are great things uh, also, adjusters and, and folks involved in cases want to see these video clips as well. They, they are assessing their own witnesses or, or your witnesses, uh, your own client, for example. Uh, those are incredibly helpful. So there's opportunities. Uh, the mediator, uh, obviously, if a mediator is involved in a mediating case, mediator want, will want to see uh, video clips of the important testimony of the witnesses and the clients. Um, those are, I find those to be a, a really helpful um, use of video depositions and of course then using video depositions in the trial uh, when folks are either not available or you have to use it for cross-exam or uh, impeachment purposes, cross-exam purposes, those types of uh, ways that the video depositions can be used. So there are numerous ways that video depositions can be helpful for you and your clients in your case. Uh, more than probably that I've just even listed here. So when you're preparing to use videos to help with the demand, uh, you're using both uh, the defendant and then your client's videos to tell the adjuster the whole story? Correct. Um, if I do my job um, the right way, I am setting out the videotape deposition of those um, opponents that, and their testimony that is critical um, and crucial in the case and also giving a piece of my client and that what, what's important, what is it, what's this client going to come off like to a jury? Uh, that's important for an adjuster to see and for a mediator to see. These, uh, these video depositions are going to show you what the, to expect with a jury and what these folks are going to come off like in front of a jury. Do you get some uh, unusual reactions uh, from defense counsel when you re-notice uh, your own client's deposition for video? I have had um, numerous respo different responses, uh, anywhere from 
why are you doing this to, is this a mistake? Uh, you know, those sorts of things. And um, it's just a matter of explaining or talking with uh, defense counsel that, well, we think this is uh, very important to the case and uh, we want to make sure that we have this moving forward. And I think that uh, that would be something you would find helpful as well. So with, um, when you're using it with the mediator, um, do you go through and kind of just cut it down to like a 15 minute, all the highlight reel situation, or are you trying to give them entire sections of the deposition? What's kind of the process of preparing something for a mediator? Uh, keep it short and sweet. Uh, you know, obviously, um, there's a lot of editing that goes on there. Uh, and as lawyers, of course, we, we feel strongly that, boy, we got to we got to put it more out there than really is necessary. We just got to have it all. And that's actually, that's not my approach. My approach, uh, what I've found uh, to be uh, incredibly helpful and successful is just keeping it to the, the sticking, the talking points, the real important points in the case, because you got to remember that's what juries end up doing anyways. They focus on the big picture um, and, most of the time are uh, going to get bogged down in a bunch of details and stuff that doesn't, uh, doesn't matter uh, as compared to the, the big points in the case. And that just gave me a thought about the, the focus groups. I mean, I would think that the tool's got to be just incredibly powerful to show them the actual testimony. I mean, you have to learn so much about your own case and your own client that it I would think it once in a while it would just completely change your view of your case. Absolutely, for good and for bad. Um, you know, but that's why we do it. That's why we need to do it is to know uh, how jury a jury or jurors will uh, perceive our client uh, and the other witnesses in the case, and um, and we can't just uh, drink our own Kool Aid, so to speak. Right. That's what it comes down to is that focus group gives us an, the ability and chance to test things out so that we have, we're keeping ourselves in check. Uh, it's easy to, to get overwhelmed by the fear in a case that, well, you know, I don't know our case. I don't know if the jury's going to like my client or I don't know if they're going to believe her damages or the other side is, Oh, I've got the best client in the world. And this jury is just going to uh, go head over heels in awarding damages. The, that's the danger of our job is getting locked in on one, one side of that. Um, and the focus groups give us the ability to really take a look at uh, how, how will a jury look at uh, our client and these other folks involved in the case and what do they think? What, you know, what do they think are the important parts? Um, and a lot of times you learn things that you never even imagined or thought of with your case. And so, um, so I think it's the video depositions and use in focus groups is really invaluable. I would think you'd also learn a lot about yourself too, and maybe how some things that you thought maybe came across one way came across like a 180. Like maybe you thought, oh, I really crushed that guy on cross examination. Then you get into a focus group, and all you get back is, man, that Lawson guy—he's just really an asshole. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, easy to develop a, uh, our own story, so to speak. As lawyers, we, you know, we come up with our own uh, perception of how the case is going, how witnesses uh, came off, how examinations came off, all those things. And those are all testable with a jury. They're all testable uh, with focus groups. And... Um, and you can find with mock jury, I apologize, but you can test all these things and find out, you know, hey, boy, I, geez, I didn't even know I was coming off of that abrasive or, oh, geez, I thought, um, I thought that expert really had, had my lunch on that. Um, but it turns out the jury thought he was a pompous, you know, know-it-all. So uh, it, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly helpful um, to do that. And you can also test videos of yourself with focus groups uh, <laughs> um, that if you don't get video of yourself in the video deposition, you can take separate videos, of course, to incorporate into that. But uh, that's, that's probably a story for another day.
Well, actually, I think that's probably a great thing to talk about a little bit. I mean, um, in order to get a video depot into evidence, it typically has to be done by a licensed videogra videographer. Um, but in order to see yourself and how you do, um, you can easily just set up an iPad or an iPhone and use every deposition as a chance to evaluate yourself. Yeah, and, and there are great software uh, programs out there that will help you um, with that, with doing that as well. And so uh, I think that, of course, there's different jurisdictions have different rules and you got to uh, make sure you're staying on top of that. But, uh, but the iPad or the uh, iPhone or any sort of video camera recording of yourself, those things that you want to use to try and uh, get, get information about yourself that you can use to test uh, show others. It doesn't even have to be focus groups. It can be uh, your colleagues, your staff, your uh, you know your family. Uh, if you want to put them through that torturous process, but uh, there, there's definitely no end to the uh, possibilities that you uh, have available with doing that. Now, when you're preparing something for a mediator or a focus group, do you do your own editing, or do you have an IT person that does that for you? Uh, I've had both. Um, I have learned over the years uh, how to use certain uh, software uh, editing programs, uh, iMovie, things like that, that um, were uh, really helpful in, in making me sit down and learn my case and cut those videos down. Uh, that's a very time-intensive process. Uh, and. Now I do farm that out uh, because I, I just don't have as much time uh, available to do that. But you can do it both ways. You can do it yourself. You can edit yourself and cut it out, cut, cut the video yourself and um, have all those tools available to you through software programs. Or you can, uh, you can pay somebody, uh, an outside source to do it or have somebody in-house learn how to do it and have them help you with it. Um, there's a number of options there. And so you're able to, I take it, at least back when you were doing it, you can usually take whatever format you get from the videographer and import that into iMovie and then do it yourself? Uh, typically, it depends if it's, um, as long as it's one of the formats that's readable, which in my case, it always has been. Uh, there's also other software programs that as long as it's a, the appropriate format, that it's easy to incorporate it into that software program get the transcript into the program and then uh, link them up uh, and sync them. Uh, I, I'm speaking in generalities because I just don't want to, um, I don't want any of the listeners to think that there may not be some formats of video out there that, uh, that may not be compatible with certain uh, software like iMovie, but there's definitely programs out there uh, and most video, most videographers or most, video cameras these days are doing it in a digital format that's readable and you know you can manipulate with that type of software. And how long did it take you to learn to edit the videos? Oh boy, um, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, not a, um, I'm not a completely tech savvy guy. I've got some tech savviness, but it took me, um, it took me a little bit of time uh, to learn that, uh, how to edit how to, I guess probably what was more the learning curve was, uh, the bigger learning curve for me was uh, how to cut down um, and really just keep it simple and not have too much. I was, my problem was I always wanted to put too much video together uh, and that, that was, that to me was the hardest part was just really learning how to simplify that. But um, I think once you take a, a course or read online the instructions and play with it, uh, you can pick it up pretty quickly. And um, if not, then you know find a millennial or somebody who knows tech and, and have them show you. And I mean, you're still going to be doing a lot of the work because you still got to watch it and figure out exactly which portions you're going to have to include and which portions to get rid of. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, it's a, a process of, I mean, you stay involved in that process somehow, some way, no matter what. And that kind of takes me in my mind to some that we didn't mention as a possible use, but I would think preparing a client uh, for testimony or a witness for testimony with the assistance of their video deposition would be almost invaluable. Yeah, I think that uh, 
you know, whatever that video deposition shows is what you have to live with if that's your client and they need to be aware of how uh, they came off and how that's going to come off to a jury and, and that, um, that pot potentially that's going to be used um, in trial against them or, or whether it's against them or just used, period. Um, it, it's helpful for a jury or excuse me, for a client uh, to be able to see that video deposition and how they came off, how, um, how they responded um, and, and learn from that. And I think we're really fortunate, especially as even most of our state courthouses catch up, but especially the federal courts to being so tech savvy. And then I would think the trial pad or some of these trial management um, iPad applications are just tailor-made to actually bringing home the functionality of a video in trial. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're very fortunate um, here in our local jurisdiction, our federal court and state courts uh, with the technology that we have and it's continually being upgraded and, um, and enhanced. And yes, um, some of those programs that you just mentioned, uh, I'm, uh, I've been using those programs for years. I believe in them. They simplify uh, my trial practice and um, I believe are an incredibly helpful tool uh, for not only you to try and suggest for your client but for the jury uh, and the court um, and all involved to um, to learn to be able to learn about the case and see the case in a more streamlined and uh, uh, I guess just effective manner. And in terms of dealing with uh, the judges have you felt that They've kind of been up to speed on the technology, like they're prepared for you to have a snippet of a video depot for rebuttal in the middle of trial, or is that something you need to educate them about before trial to make sure they're on the same page? Uh, I find that most of the judges are. Um, if, if I'm working personally, if I'm working with a new judge or in a, in a uh, court with a, a judge that I have not tried a case uh, before, I will try to bring those things up with not only the, the judge, but also the court staff. Um, to really kind of learn about um, how they have dealt with these uh, things in the past and just making sure that everybody's on the same page because the last thing you want to do is be in the middle of trial and, and you know, have things go haywire with your intended presentation of some technology. So I think it's always a great idea to make sure that you're 100% in the know uh, before walking into trial for the first day. And so in terms of setting up your trial pad, do you actually go through and then have what you anticipate, maybe like the five or 10 things you really may want to have rebuttal evidence for, have those snippets of video ready to go and queued up? Absolutely. I think that that preparation is, uh, is absolutely key. Uh, you, you've um, got the ability to do things on the fly, uh, but, um, but I think that like anything in life, um, preparation and hard work is what matters and what will uh, win out in the end of the day. So, I mean, it's fair to say that, you know, along with being a little bit more expensive, doing a bit of uh, taking a video deposition and then properly using it in trial is significantly more work that the attorney needs to plan on doing. Well, um, yes and no. I mean, I believe that depending on who you have helping you prepare um, and how you want to prepare that, um, it's going to take a little bit more time, but also um, the uh, what you get from that video deposition may be so much more powerful um, and time-saving in what you how you use it in trial. Um, that even though it may take a little bit more time to work with either a videographer or the software program or have somebody in in-house working on it. Um, your, what you get in return, uh, your return on investment, so to speak, uh, is so much greater than just saying, well, I'm just going to use the transcript and leave it at that. And I would think uh, one of the cardinal rules is probably always just don't bore the jury. You don't do it. If you do anything else, just don't bore them. And I remember being in a deposition, and I can't remember the attorney's name, but it He'd been practicing for at least 40 years and he made the joke at the beginning of the deposition that in his 40 years of practice he'd never once 
seen a deposition used effectively for impeachment at trial. I would think that a video deposition absolutely just flips that on its head because you're not going to sit there and break the seal on a deposition and then read something. You show the deponent right then to the jury. I agree. I, um, I myself have seen video deposition uh, impeachment testimony uh, used at trial. I've seen, uh, and I've also seen transcript, uh, video, de- video, excuse me, uh, deposition transcripts used uh, in trial for impeachment effectively. So, um, but I, I think that with the, the video, uh, you really, it forces that witness, whoever's on the stand, boy, they get, they get caught once and that's it. They're, they're, they'll be so gun shy to try and argue with uh, what they previously said or with what the attorney is trying to uh, bring up on cross-examination that um, it changes the tone and tenor uh, and presentation of that witness in trial. And I would think that that would also do wonders for your credibility in front of the jury when you back up what you're saying with the video. Yeah, I mean, that's all we have. Uh, we walk in there with uh, a, a low level. Every attorney walks in the courtroom with some lower level of uh, confidence and credibility with a jury. And that's all we can walk away with is our credibility. Uh, and so in order to keep that, we've got to be on point and not try to uh, abuse the process, even with using video deposition testimony. Uh, it, if you try to use it for something that it, it doesn't stand for or for something that wasn't said, then uh, you're risking your own credibility. Well, every case kind of has a budget and how do you, along those lines with video depositions being more um, expensive, how do you kind of prioritize which depositions you will take video of and which depositions you won't? Well, I think that's all about preparation and planning. I, I think you have to look for to uh, potential problems with witness availability. Um, I think that you identify your key witnesses, the defendants, obviously, or, or opposing parties. Opposing parties are always gonna be uh, on you know, top of your list for videotape depositions. I also think uh, that critical witnesses, uh, especially with complex stories or um, who really have an important story to tell about what happened uh, with the case, um, I think those are, are key witnesses that I always have on my list. And, uh, and then doctors, uh, treating doctors um, or, or defense uh, or opposing party uh, doctors and retained uh, experts. Uh, those type of people that you know uh, you're going to be having a battle with the trial. Uh, those are the people that are really going to be important um, to uh, keep um, from going over the line at trial. And so those are always at the top of my list. But it's uh, again, it's about the preparation and planning. you got to take a look at what's going on in your case, what you've got involved, um, and kind of make a judgment call on those people that you, you think you should video. And uh, the only... The only regret you'll have at least in my my the only regret i've ever had um is yeah you know boy i wish i would have spent an extra couple hundred or thousand bucks on a video deposition um the the other side of that is wow i really wish i would have videotaped how awful that witness was or how powerful that witness was um because that was incredible. And I don't know if the, the transcript is gonna do this deposition de- justice. And so, um, you know, you gotta weigh the, the costs to your client in the case versus the potential um, game-changing testimony that will be shown on video. And that's, the, that's where I really kinda try to keep my focus. Well, we talked a lot about um the additional cost of video depositions, but there are definitely certain situations where a video deposition can save a lot of money. I'm thinking um, primarily of maybe an out-of-state treating physician or something, someone that's going to be very expensive to bring to trial. And we know that if possible, juries tend to love treating physicians and we want them there in court. But if they can't be in their court, um, a video deposition can save a ton of money 
because then you're the one traveling to take the deposition. And I guess the question I'm getting at is, how, how have you seen jurors react to having, like say, a treating physician testify at trial via video as opposed to being live in the courtroom? Well, I think live in the courtroom is always preferable when it comes to um, witnesses in general. Uh, and doctor, doctors are no exception to that or treating physicians are no exception to that. But uh, when all else fails and you're looking at maybe either a transcript being read in or at least a video deposition being played, the video deposition hands down is a much better um, approach and, and definitely preferable or preferable over uh, a boring transcript because at least the jury will get to see this human being, see how they come off, see how they react to the questions, see how uh, the questions are being asked from certain counsel um, and, and their behavior towards them. And, um, and frankly, uh, a lot of times the emotional aspect, the emotional uh, component of a deposition is so incredibly important. Um, a lot of time with treating physicians, they're, they've got a job and they, it's just a job. But a lot of other times where treating physicians actually care about their patients, they care about your client. And that sort of emotion and that type of feeling uh, would never come off in, um, in a transcript. But hopefully that you can get some of that out of your uh, videotaped deposition because um, if it if the doctor doesn't care it's hard for the jury to care and, and that goes that goes for every witness or you know every case and so i think that um preferably if you can have them in trial great but if you can't i would highly suggest videotape deposition over transcript in my own personal experience and i think one of the little things that can occur at trial when you've got eight million things in your head and you're stressed out about what the next question will be. One of the great things about having a video depot and knowing when you're gonna use it is you almost get a little planned break and you can take that time to really see how the jury's reacting to that testimony. Yes, I mean, I think that uh, that's a great point. Uh, I think the reflection on how things are going and how things uh, were received by the jury uh, is something that we do as trial lawyers, we do every break, every, every chance we get uh, during trial. And um, and it, it's usually apparent on the jurors' face, on the jurors faces uh, when they're watching video, especially important or, uh, or very engaging videotape deposition testimony, you, you can get a feel for what the uh, jury's doing and how they're feeling about it. And along those lines, do you also then typically videotape your uh, focus group so you can go back and see how, how they're reacting to maybe the videos that you're showing them? I have done it both ways, and my preference is to videotape the uh, and record the um, the, the excuse me the uh, focus groups because I have found using focus recorded focus group uh, work. Uh, and deliberations has been incredibly helpful in settlement. Uh, sometimes we've used it in mediation and or uh, settlement demands um, and dealing with opposing parties to show them, hey, listen, we're gonna be straightforward with you. We focus group this case and this is, this is what you're gonna be seeing and show them some of the results. Um, on the other side of that, um, if we have a case where unfortunately we, we learn from focus groups that, boy, our, our client has a really tough uphill battle and maybe our client has really unreasonable expectations that I've had used or had the ability to show my own client how a focus group, a recorded focus group deliberation or focus group deliberations um, came off and um, some of the really damaging and, and hurtful um, deliberations and things that came out about my client and the things that they focused on that, um, that helped my client understand the difficulties they faced by going to trial uh, or going forward with the case. 
And so I, uh, I really have found that those can be helpful and useful. And sometimes um, they, they're not useful for those purposes, but, um, but it's nice when you need them. Well, I think that's got to be one of the toughest uh, situations we face as plaintiff's lawyers is when either some fact changes or something occurs and the case basically goes sideways and the client's expectations have been built up and none of us like to do that, but we've got to retain our objectivity when we talk to our clients and it seems like it would be a truly incredible tool to do that really difficult task of um, you know, helping your client decide to take a settlement as opposed to like the complete disaster of going through all the expense of trial and then getting either zeroed out or a defense verdict. Yeah, I agree. I mean, at the end of the day, our job is to um, do what's in the best interest of the client. And if you can use those, um, those focus groups, the video uh, work that's done to accomplish what's in the best interest of your client. And sometimes if that means you know, that they've got to make hard decisions about the fate of their case and whether to go forward or, or settle or any of those matters. Um, we can rest easier as attorneys knowing that we're trying to do everything possible to give our clients the ability to, to make those choices and informed choices about how to go forward. And I thought that was great. I mean, that, that was truly eye-opening to hear that you use uh, the focus group videos in uh, settlement negotiations. I think that's just an amazing idea to go ahead and when you've got a strong hand, just show it. Have you found that the insurance adjusters or the defense counsel is accepting of your focus groups or do they kind of question it? Or what's their reaction to getting that information? You know, I, I guess I haven't, um, I haven't, been questioned on it. Uh, we've used it in the context of, hey, listen, I mean, this is this is what we've seen. Uh, you know, we're happy to share that with you because this is we want you to know this is what we've seen um, and what we are working with. And so, I, I think it's all again, it's about credibility, not just with the jury, but you have to have credibility with your opposing counsel and um, and adjusters in, in cases, personal injury cases, like I do. Uh, you got to have um, credibility. And so if you were to try and pull one over and, and say, oh, we've got this you know, focus group testimony, uh, that to me, uh, I couldn't fathom doing that. Uh, I don't know if anybody would. But again, you're risking, if somebody was to do something like that, they'd be risking their credibility um, and putting it all on the line. And so, um, so I haven't been questioned on that, thankfully. And if I did... Um, you know, I would say, take a look, you know, let's, let's sit down and talk about it. So we got nothing to hide. And so do you do that? You would do that video uh, of the focus group in-house. That's not something that you would necessarily farm out to someone else. No, not my operation. My operation is done. Um, it's done in-house. Uh, yeah, we keep it in-house, but of course there's, there's other ways of doing that. And, um, and there are lots of different options out there for how you can do focus groups, but that personally, that's how we do ours. Do you have like a special video camera then specifically to do things like video of the focus groups or are you just using iPhones and iPads or what's your kind of setup on that? You know, I think we, what we do is we just have a couple of different um, uh, video cameras. They're not super um, sophisticated or expensive. Uh, they just um, are, are kind of run of the mill, you know, um, good video cameras that can provide uh, good footage and feedback and then could be tied in. We can tie those in immediately to live video streams. Um, I think the way things are going anymore, uh, you don't need to go out and buy a video cameras. All you need is a computer or, um, or an iPad or, or just even a, a little camera connection for your laptop or whatever um, that you can make work. There's really, there really are cost effective ways to doing focus groups and doing um, doing these types of recordings. Uh, it's just a matter of what's your budget and what do you want to accomplish and how sophisticated do you want to make it. So what advice would you give to a young lawyer about to take their first video deposition? Uh, my advice would be uh, just think through what you can accomplish with 
a visual presentation. And think and keep in mind, if you were to use this deposition for a jury, what would you want the witness to do and say on video? Because anymore we are a visual society. And so if this is your opportunity to get um, some visual stimulation, so to speak, uh, think it through on what you really want to try to accomplish. Uh, because that's what I try to, that's what I try to keep in mind every time I take one of these is what can I do with, uh, on video that's going to be helpful for my client and helpful for this case. And so think it through, uh, whether that means using props, using demonstratives, uh, demonstrations, reenactments, uh, any of those sort of things. Or if it's just simply that, hey, I just want to get this person, I just want to see what this person's going to be like, how they come off. Um, those are the things that you can keep in mind. But as a first timer, uh, don't be afraid. My, I guess my best advice was don't be afraid to try something new and think outside the box. And to, uh, let's say a first timer, is there anything that you'd warn them against doing? that you've seen either reflect poorly on the attorney or just not go over well in a video depot? Um, you know, I've been very fortunate. I haven't had too many bad experiences. Um, I think uh, of <laughs> there are uh, some new, numerous examples of uh, attorneys fighting um, and, and craziness on video deposition that you can probably find through Google. Uh, I don't think I need to name any of those, but. Um, I think that, you know, uh, whatever sort of behavior you have, uh, is going to be on video. And so it's there. And so <laughs> I think that if you, uh, are not on your, not on your best behavior or you tend to, um, act out in ways that, um, are unbecoming, that's going to be possibly held against you. And one of my thoughts is always you know, even in any deposition, but I think it's even magnified more because I think we all kind of get that blood in the water taste as attorneys once in a while, but be even nicer than you normally are if you're going to be on video. Well, just be courteous and be, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, um, this, our practices uh, lead to a lot of acrimony, a lot of uh, stress and, and people take it personal. Um, I've been very fortunate over my career in that I've practiced um, in numerous states uh, across the country and I've seen how cultural there are really are cultural differences. Justin, you and I are we're very lucky. We're blessed to be here in Wyoming and um, and yeah, there can be some bad actors here and there, but for the most part, uh, Everybody is very courteous and we all get along and we, we treat each other very professionally um, and are very gent. We're all gentlemen or gentle women, <laughs> uh, ladies, ladies and gentlemen. And so um, that's not the case everywhere else I've been. And I have experienced um, really awful behavior uh, and it can be a product of different cultures. I mean, really what a big city, um, culture, law culture, uh, in Chicago versus Wyoming, uh, just not to pick on people in Chicago, love my, all my Chicago friends, but, uh, th there can be a huge difference in the way, uh, people treat each other, especially attorneys treat each other, uh, because they're not, uh, they're just not in the same place that we are. And, and we're, we're fortunate because, Everybody in Wyoming knows everybody. So all the other lawyers know each other. So it's a different world. But um, but I, I think that what your what the goal should be is to promote civility, promote professionalism, and take the high road. It's easy to get sucked into the fight. It's easy to get dragged to, down to the level of um, of bad behavior and conduct. But nobody feels good about that at the end of the day. Truly, uh, no lawyer feels good about that. And, and the better thing is to take the high road, even if that makes 
you, when you feel like you're weak, the reality is is you're keeping your power, you're keeping your strength by not letting somebody else win. And I think that's a great note to end it on. Uh, we're out of time, but we are definitely blessed to practice in a state like Wyoming where civility is definitely the norm and rudeness the exception. Uh, and I just want to say thank you very much for coming here to talk today and maybe we'll have our next topic uh, for the next podcast. Thank you, Grant. Thank you, Justin.